It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, June 14th, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the show where we both forgive and forget. It's called Sacramental Confession. On today's show, we discuss forgiveness as a theme in comics. We'll talk about why this is such an important theme in so many stories, and how some of our favorite comics have approached it. So we're thinking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if, even if, you don't love us anymore. Oh, no. (laughs) It's the heart of the matter. It is the heart of the matter. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And to my right here is Father Matt Stromberg. And Father Matt, when you are not sitting in my office, where are you? I'm at Christ Church in Cooperstown, New York. And uh, a little later on today, we're going to have a guest, uh, David Zoll of Mockingbird Ministry. So it's only uh, fitting that my recommendation (laughs) for this week is Mockingbird, uh, the Marvel comic series Mockingbird that that is running right now. And specifically, I want to particularly, I'll recommend the whole series. You should definitely get it, but particularly issue number three. And I'll talk about why in a moment. So I have to say, Mockingbird as a character has never been uh, a character that I was all that interested in or fond of. She apparently goes all the way back to 1971 in Astonishing Tales number 6. I I did not know that. She uh, gets most of her characteristics, though, as a character came in the 1980s. She is a, a highly trained S.H.I.E.L.D. agent with a Ph.D. in biology. Um, She's gotten a little more notice, I guess, in the last couple of years because she's been a character on uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on on ABC, Um, or at least Bobby Morse, her... um, her identity. I don't. I don't know. That they, I don't think they ever called her Mockingbird on the show. She was married to Hawkeye for a little while, and in fact died trying to save him back in 1993, and managed to stay dead all the way until 2008. So that's a pretty long run of death uh, in in comics. Um, although they did have a couple of things uh, in between there where she. Uh, kind of spoke to us from beyond the grave a couple of times. But uh, she came back, and after uh, coming back, had injected into her some strange mixture of super soldier serum and infinity formula, which has increased her strength and her healing ability while slowing her aging, although nobody is entirely sure exactly what all this stuff is doing to her biology, which I'll get back to in a moment. So this new series that's that's being written now is is I believe the first uh, series, or at least the first series that she's been the solo name on. I think there's been at least I know I read at some point a Hawk, Hawkeye and Mockingbird series. Yeah, I have that one. But uh, but but just uh, as a solo series, I think this is her first one. It's written by Chelsea Kane, who is uh, a novelist, and I think this is her first comic book writing. Although from some of the things that she said in interviews and some of her other writing, she's clearly very connected into comics. Um, the art is by Kate. Niemzik. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that, but it's N-I-E-M-C-Z-Y-K. 
and uh, and you know I think a, a pretty good um, uh, rendering, pretty good art. But what I have to say is this series is bananas. It is uh, it is very funny. It's a lot like early Matt Fraction Hawkeye if you were somebody who was into that, but uh, but more episodic. It's a little easier to kind of pick up any individual issue and read it. And just crazy stuff. I mean, there was an issue where uh, she ended up investigating a secret underground sex dungeon that was located under Buckingham Palace. <laughs> and they were trying, they were going to blow up the queen or something. I mean, it was just nuts. Um, every issue has paper dolls in the back that you can cut out for no particular reason um there are lots of like random jokes in the background you know like if you go back for a second and third reading it will probably be even funnier because you'll notice bizarre things that are happening um particularly with other marvel characters who just kind of randomly sort of just show up in the scenery for no particular reason and the series is uh what's called a puzzle box. Are you all familiar with with the concept of a puzzle box? Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it. Basically what this means is if you pick up the first issue, the first issue is actually very confusing and it's confusing on purpose. It's still fun to read. But what's happening in the first issue is I mentioned before she has this weird mixture of stuff in her body and in the first issue Every, every scene, she's going to the S.H.I.E.L.D. clinic and being investigated to see what's going on with her. She seems to be, her aggression is increasing, but she's also, like, developing these weird sort of almost uh, psychic or telekinetic kind of abilities at one point. Um, it, it yields a lot of great uh, background jokes as she's sitting in the waiting room for this, too. And you see, you know, Iron Man and Howard the Duck and so forth also waiting for their turn with the doctor, you know, reading a magazine or whatever. She's in different outfits in each one of these scenes. And so the, the idea is the first issue is kind of is very strange. In each of the succeeding issues for issues two, three and four, you get a, a story that happened between the panels. And then in issue five, she's going to circle back around and make it all make sense. Hmm. And what's neat about that is so there's this strange overarching story But each of those other individual issues is a complete story unto itself. So issue three, which is the one that I'm I'm highly recommending, I actually had my my wife read this without having read any of the rest of it, and it was perfectly fine for her to do that. She did it easily and, and really enjoyed it. In issue number three... Mockingbird has to rescue a 12-year-old girl who is, has recently developed powers uh, that she can't control. And she's sitting on a building, on the top of a building, and her friends she has in this kind of rainbow-colored bubble up in the air and doesn't quite know how to get them down. The whole thing is surrounded by various police and, and people like that, a lot of reporters who are scaring this kid and not being very helpful at all. Uh, one of the uh, TV reporters is, is wonderfully named Dick Prophet. I thought that was sort of lovely. But uh, basically, in this story, it mirrors her own development as a hero. She comes off as very confident, knowing what she's doing even when she doesn't, jumping into the scenario... And she kind of sees herself to a certain degree in this 12-year-old girl and remembering, you know, how hard it was for her, even though she didn't have powers, at least at that point, to kind of become anybody. 
um, and how hard it is to be 12. And yet at the same time, it kind of pokes fun a little bit at that age. I mean, there's some part where Mockingbird says this really like deep thing to her and the girl says, do you have Instagram? No. <laughs> and that's just it. And then they move on. It's a great series. And my worry is that because I have no idea how well this series is doing, that this will be the sort of thing that'll just be flash in the pan because it's not a character that's very well known. Um, they do make jokes about that where people go, wait, so which one are you again? Oh, I think she's Black Cat. Like, they're just trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, my worry is it'll be canceled too soon um, because I'd love to see this thing just go on and on. I picked it up totally on a whim, and uh, I'm really glad I did. I hope you, you all go out there. Issue 4... Uh, if it's not out today, we'll probably be out within the next couple of weeks. Go out and buy all of them, but especially buy issue three. If you're not sure which one to buy and you want an entree in, buy issue three. And if you if you enjoy that, I guarantee you'll enjoy the other ones as well. Well, we're going to move now into our, our main conversation on forgiveness. And before we do that, I want to introduce our guest on the program today. We're joined today by David Zoll. David is the director of Mockingbird Ministries and editor-in-chief of the Mockingbird blog. He is also a licensed lay preacher on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I love this show. It's my favorite podcast. Wonderful. You want to say a word about what Mockingbird is? Now that we've explained who Mockingbird the hero is, maybe you can explain what Mockingbird the ministry is. Well, Mockingbird is the web platform which is responsible for the most exhaustive look at the theological and philosophical underpinnings of Batman the Animated Series that has ever been published, <laughs> it ever will be published. I think we got to like uh, 58 <laughs> parts on it. So that's how we're nice. uh, contributing to God's kingdom on <laughs> But we're, to be honest with you, we're a, uh, we're, we've become kind of like a media concern platform that is uh, really devoted to connecting Christian faith with everyday life, which I guess is what everyone's doing, but um, with a special emphasis on uh, God's grace or law and gospel. Uh, we're, a lot of us are coming from Anglican uh, Episcopal backgrounds, but we do this through, we do publications and conferences, and uh, we have a podcast ourselves and uh, where we don't get to be as niche and funny as you guys. You guys, I think, do the deepest dive into pop culture and where is the gospel to be found in pop culture than I think anybody else uh, out there right now. I didn't. We didn't set out to do a pop culture thing because that always makes it sound like it's a youth ministry. Not that there's anything wrong with youth ministries, but I just happen to really like pop culture and a lot of it, and I can't talk about my faith, or I can't talk about tr truth with a lowercase t or a capital T without using that as part of the lexicon. Yeah. So um, it, it, it gravitates that way, but we also talk about a lot of... We, I try to make it so that at least half of our books are just straightforward theo theological or social sociological kind of works, and then the other half we can dabble in uh, music and Pixar movies and, uh, you know, Batman and uh, but also the Mar the Marvel universe as well. We don't we don't discriminate except <laughs> privately. That's, that's good. You might have alienated a bunch of listeners that way. So good that you good that you threw that in there. Um, tell tell us about your personal experience with comics. Thanks for asking. I actually wrote my college essay about comic books 
like I started collecting comics really in the um, you know the foil embossed era. Mm. I, I would say what what was really big. I think I'm pretty much of the same generation as you guys. That uh, my first big issue I got was Amazing Spider-Man 300. You know, with yeah. McFarlane, and that that run of Amazing Spider-Man really be- marked the beginning of when my excitement with comics was. And I just traced it through the the you know the launch of Image. And um, I, it was big into the Valiant stuff. And then as I've grown older, I've continued to read comics. I really went more DC as I got older and then Vertigo stuff. But I never lost track of my, uh, my first love, which is superhero um, or just straight genre superhero comics. As I was thinking about the program today, it was occurring to me, you know, we're thinking about forgiveness as a theme in comics. But of course, forgiveness is a huge theme in all kinds of things. It's a huge theme in art. It's a huge theme in literature, in television, in film. It's something that comes up over and over again in both good and bad ways, right? Themes of how uh, an act of forgiveness can change somebody's life and themes of how a refusal to impart forgiveness can change somebody's life. So before we get into some specific comic examples, I wonder if um, you guys want to talk just a little bit about why you think it is that forgiveness is such an enduring theme in all of these various types of stories that we tell. It's such an enduring theme because it's such a universal one. It's one that we all could find some resonance with in our own life. You know, we, we all kind of experience failure we all experience being hurt or betrayed. These moments of forgiveness, I think, for most of us, are, are kind of defining moments in, in our lives. And so it's only natural that when we tell stories that are searching for meaning, forgiveness is a, is a big part. As far as character development goes, forgiveness is, is often the beginning of something new. For, for us in our lives, but also for a character in, in, in a fictional story. It's a born-again kind of experience, a, a new start, a fresh beginning. We all need forgiveness. We, we know, even if uh, you know, people get offended when you say, well, what people really need is to be forgiven, they say, what are you talking about? I don't need to be forgiven, and you need to forgive me. You know, that's like, my ex-husband is the one who needs forgiveness. I think that the things that matter in life... Certainly where the gospel, uh, the, the message of Christ really touches down in a lot of people's lives is where they themselves need forgiveness. And absolutely everyone, if they're honest, and they're often not, have some place where uh, forgiveness is, is the deepest yearning of their heart. That sounds, that, maybe, that sounds a little sentimental sometimes, but I think it's really true, especially in relationships. You know, uh, How many of us have experienced the total lack of forgiveness in a relationship? And that's been the end. That's been the death knell of a relationship, or um, our inability to give to be forgiving of another person, or someone has forgiven us when we leave, when we didn't quote didn't quote deserve it, uh, which you never really do, I guess. Uh, and that is, as Father Matt said, that's the beginning of something new. So I think you can just say emotionally, existentially, it will never cease to resonate as long as human beings have like uh, human DNA running through their veins. Yeah, certainly for us who would uphold the, the Christian scriptures as God's word to us, it's very clear that, that that's the fundamental problem of humans, is that we're out of line with our creator, and we're out of line, therefore, with one another and with the creation, and so we need to be put back into line, and 
And the word of forgiveness is the word that does that. It's the word that, that is a powerful word that recreates and, and puts us back into the situation that we um, are in alignment with our, with our Lord and our Creator. Of course, because of that, it's going to ripple through everything that we touch, being our deepest need. That's true. We, we feel that need deep within us to have our relationship with other people, with the world, uh, ultimately with God, to be restored, to be put back together the right way. And yet we are so quick to externalize that, to say, well, the problem is not that I need forgiveness. Hmm. The problem is out there. Often when somebody wants to come to confession with me, you know, sometimes they just come and do it, but sometimes we'll meet ahead of time and talk about well, what's this look like, especially if they've never done it before. They're looking for some guidance. How do I prepare myself? One of the things I often will tell them is make sure when you come in that you are confessing your sins and not the sins of other people around you. Uh, <laughs> because there is that tendency, right? Like, you know, yeah. forgive me, um, my husband is such a jerk. <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm just making that up. But whatever it is, it's, it's you know, we, oh. go, we go so quick to, I'm going to justify myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, that sermon was great, but you know who really should have heard it? Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. I hope um, the recording's available because I have a few people I want to forward it to. That's right. <laughs> um, well, and that actually feeds into the other piece of this. And thinking about this in relation to comics, and particularly to superhero comics, I think it's interesting how often it seems that a lack of forgiveness, or I should say a lack of external forgiveness, is at the heart of a particular character's hero journey. If you think about a bunch of the, the major heroes that we that we um enjoy and talk about a lot on the program batman spider-man even superman to a certain extent so many of them are operating at least in part on a kind of guilt right we've talked extensively about that with spider-man and the death of uncle ben before but even you know with with batman as a child seeing his parents killed and I don't know if there's a story that delves super deeply into this, but there's got to be an element of that desire to, to make it so that nobody is ever hurt again um, that, that he then comes up with that comes from this sense of, of powerlessness that I couldn't stop this thing from happening. And I would say with Superman, there's a little bit of that too in the sense of, you know, I have been given all of this power from a world that I never knew that died, that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do, I can't do anything about my world. Um, and so I'm going to do everything I can about this world. I, I just, you know, I wonder if uh, how many of our heroes would stop being heroes if they just like, <laughs> or wouldn't have developed that way if somebody had just told them early on, had that like goodwill hunting moment with them, you know, <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not yeah. your fault. How many clergy would not be How many clergy? <laughs> How many therapists? Boy, we could yeah. just go down the list, couldn't we? <laughs> I happen to be a big Frank Miller fan, and a lot of people, you know, he's, he's unfashionable for a lot of reasons, some of which are justified, but most of his great stories are stories of revenge um, mm -hmm. and, and someone getting a comeuppance. And, uh, you know, they're very angry. And he, he talks about having been very angry on Man when he wrote most of his incredibly creative, famous works. But there's no forgiveness at the end of, like, 
Electra Assassin or uh, Dark Knight Returns. If anything, it's just the, the we we love seeing the bad guys get their uh, comeuppance, or we love seeing the triumph over the baddies rather than there for rather than bad people being forgiven. And it's this vicarious revenge that we it done extremely well. But I I was thinking about that today. Um, I love uh, Martha Washington, his, his long, long mm-hmm. book about Martha Washington, the first half of which is just brilliant, but it's all a um, punishing of the powers that be, uh, you know, an inversion of it rather than a um, reconciliation of any kind. And there's, so there's no forgiveness. In instances of forgiveness in comic books, you see them much more on, the, on big screen adaptations. Mm. Once, you know, you see bloodshed or propitiation or something going on at the end of a MCU film, but you don't see it much on the page, at least not in the stuff that I really like, which is Alan Moore and, you know, I like the classic dark deconstruction stuff from the 80s. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dave, that, um, you know, as we we were preparing for this episode, I'm sitting there racking my brain for examples of forgiveness (laughs) in comics, and they're few and far between. I mean, you can occasionally pull some out, but things do tend more towards that side of revenge you know, more towards the law and less towards the gospel, as we might say. Yeah. Father Kyle, were you able to come up with uh, any good examples? Yes, there was, there was one that I came up with. I mean, I could think of a lot of the, the lack of forgiveness stuff and you hinted at that. And I know in past episode, I dealt with Spider-Man and, you know, Spider-Man had a preacher. Spider-Man wouldn't be Spider-Man anymore, but, uh, (laughs) But there, there was one recent example um, in the Batman and Robin Eternal series, which I, I'll say a little bit about. I don't want to spoil too much for folks if you haven't read it yet. And I do recommend it. I think it's a good, good series. But there is a, um, a woman who is training children around the world who have been orphaned to become killers. And for several reasons, Batman ends up turning to her to train a new Robin because there's a sense that Dick Grayson is not going to cut the mustard. And so she begins training this girl, young girl to become the next Robin. And part of that training involves the girl murdering another child's parents. And it turns out in the end that the two of them come to encounter one another, both now as superheroes and the one girl who had done the murdering has been driven to this place of, of utter repentance for the murder that she had done and abhors the life that she once led under this character mother. And so she uh, actually holds out to Bluebird, who is the girl whose parents had been murdered by Orphan. She holds out to Bluebird the possibility of killing her as revenge because she had murdered her parents. And Bluebird steps in and says, no, I forgive you. Father Matt, what examples did you uh, come up with? Well, I, I, have, uh, I have a couple. Uh, one is actually from a Frank Miller story. <laughs> a Frank Miller story from, from the 80s. We've talked a lot about the classic storyline in Daredevil, Born Again. Born, this is sort of the natural place for a story like this to happen because Born Again is full of sort of religious illusions but it all begins with the betrayal Karen Page 
is Daredevil's longtime love interest. She goes all the way back to the original Stan Lee Daredevil uh, comics. But she sort of takes a very dark turn around the 80s. And and so she goes off to Hollywood to become a a movie star, but actually ends up becoming uh, a a drug addict and uh, gets involved in, in the pornography industry and so she, her, her life is just completely uh, disintegrated. And uh, at the end of her robe, she uses the one sort of thing she has, which is uh, she knows Daredevil's secret identity. And she, she sells it to some criminals for a hit uh, to, to feed her addiction. The kingpin gets a hold of it and turns uh, Matt Murdock's life upside down. His life... So uh, here begins uh, Daredevil's descent into hell, and you know uh, 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 eventually he he's you know he has his return, his kind of resurrection, um, and he comes back. Karen Page is now the victim. I, I, um, if I'm remembering the story correctly, she is has fallen into the hands of this vicious pimp, and Daredevil rescues her at at the moment before she's about to commit suicide. And there's this unforgettable splash page of Matt Murdock holding her in his arms, and she is, she's kind of wasted, and tears are streaming down her face. It's, it's one of those truly gripping moments in, in the history of comic books. You know, she is responsible for destroying his entire life. And and there's just, at that moment, there's just no judgment. You could just feel that he loves her and he wants her to be well. It's, it's his love, his forgiveness to her in her moment of, of greatest need that makes it possible for her to, uh, towards the end of the storyline, there's another splash page where you see them walking the streets of New York and she's restored and they're they're kind of nicely dressed and the sun is shining and they're kind of arm in arm uh, walking uh, New York and, and and there's that there's that kind of restoration that happens. I mean, not without you know great woundedness in the past or or great woundedness to come. The other example that I thought of is, is a story of forgiveness where the hero needs the forgiveness, and that's from Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. It's kind of like an African myth or folk tale about about a queen Queen Nada who is the queen of one of the earliest uh, civilizations in human history or whatever. And she is the the most beautiful of women. And, you know, the gods and mortals adore her. But she has no husband. No no, no man can found, be found that's worthy of her. But she, she happens to see Dream, the Sandman, in one of his incarnations passing by her window at night and she falls in love with him and she searches the whole world over for him and eventually she eats this magic berry that brings her to dream's realm and um so the, when she you know discovers that the man that she loves is actually dream of the endless they can never be together but uh it's too late he's captivated by her he pursues her and wins her, but then the sun is overcome with jealousy and burns her city to the ground. And uh, and when she realizes what she's been responsible for, she commits suicide. And the Sandman is enraged and hurt and scor- You know, he's kind of the the scorned lover and condemns her soul to hell. 
uh, an awful kind of very cruel and selfish thing on his part. And uh, she's there for 10,000 years. And, and he has no remorse about this um, until he's confronted by his sister death and his other sister desire about this moment of cruelty in the ancient past. And he goes to hell to pursue her. But uh, the long story short, he comes to her and asks for forgiveness. And initially, uh, you, you know, she's like, you're going to ask me for forgiveness? You have any idea what I've been through? And she strikes him and he humbles himself more. And then she kisses him and she forgives him, you know, after thousands of years uh, and, and, you know, every this moment, this act of cruelty that was just unspeakable that he did to her. She she forgives him. Of course, um, you know, they, their relationship can never be what it was. But that's a very powerful moment of forgiveness in comics. Both of your examples actually make me, me think of something that's prominent in one of my examples and something that I, I hope we would talk about a little bit, and that is the need that we have for forgiveness is particularly a need for an external forgiveness, for forgiveness to be uh, offered to us. You know, I think uh, today one of the things that you hear very often in in the culture is that we need to be better at forgiving ourselves, and I don't think that that's wrong. I mean, I think that, mm. you know, we do need to be able to forgive ourselves. Some, and sometimes that is the most difficult thing to do. But we also need this external forgiveness. And, and in fact, our own internal attempts at forgiveness fall flat in part because we don't have that forgiveness coming from someone else, something else, something outside of ourselves. So one of the examples I thought of uh, this was almost my, my recommendation today, is the third uh, volume of Gail Simone's recent run on Red Sonia. If you're not familiar with Red Sonia, she is kind of a warrior character in a sort of uh, medieval kind of world, right? You know, there where there are kings and queens and thieves on the road and that sort of thing, and she's sort of like a sword for hire, Gail Simone and, and Walter Giovanni does the art for it, uh, has this really great, um, really great run on, on the uh, comic. The, the third volume, which is called The Forgiving of Monsters, is actually all about forgiveness in various ways. And in the first part of the story, what happens is she's been hired by this town that's being terrorized by this sorcerer who's been kidnapping people and doing terrible things to them and so forth. And so she's been hired basically to go kill this guy so that this doesn't happen anymore. And she goes, and she does, but as she is fighting him and as she is killing him right before he dies, he curses her with this magical curse that makes it impossible for her to forgive anybody anything ever. Hmm. And she doesn't think much of it, um, eventually she starts to be um, tracked down by this guy who turns out to be the sorcerer's brother, who's this really awful-looking character has two, two nails through where one of his eyes should be. He's really gross-looking. But w what happens to her is, you know, she thinks, ah, well, it's just magic, it's nonsense, and she goes and finds that, you know, she's drinking in the tavern that night, and they're all saying, hey, free drinks, we're so happy you got rid of this guy for us. And then she turns around because somebody, you know, spills, I can't remember exactly if they spill something on her or 
trip over her or something, but it just unsettles her so much that she beats the guy, you know, practically breaks all of his bones and ends up getting thrown out. And then through the through the rest of the story, she keeps encountering people whom she should be able to forgive and can't, including in some major ways. One of the big pieces of the of the story of Red Sonia, part of how she becomes Sonia, the the devil, she is sometimes called Sonia, the red devil, is that uh, as a child, her entire village was basically, including her family, was basically massacred before her eyes. And so again, we have another one of these like revenge-motivated hero stories where she originally uh, learns how to be this incredible sword-swinging warrior because she wanted to take revenge on the people who did this to her family. Well, she finds, uh, in, in this story, in Gail Simone's story, she finds uh, one of these guys who was there. She thought she'd killed them all, but lo and behold, here's one of these guys who was there and who did this terrible thing to her village. But in the, in the years since, he has become super remorseful. He has become a good guy. He's become a, a contributing member of society. It actually kind of makes me, if anybody's ever read The Brothers Karamazov, it makes mm. me think of um, one, of the, uh, one of the stories that shows up in there. But, uh, and he basically comes to her begging for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And now he has people who rely on him and so forth. And she is able to recognize the uh, injustice that it would be. You know, she recognizes on one level... Um, that to to exercise true justice here and to really kill this guy for what he did so long ago would actually be an even greater injustice because of what it would do to others. And yet, because of the curse, she's not able to forgive. She can't do it. So I I won't spoil the whole story, and there's actually a lot more to it than this. There There are several other stories that intersect with this and that also have to deal with the question of forgiveness. But... Basically, one of the things that allows her in the end to be triumphant again is that a bunch of the people that she messes up and offends along the way forgive her. Like that guy that she pounded uh, turns around and forgives her. And this other person that's been with her forgives her. And it's, it's ultimately the forgiveness of others that gives her the power to resist essentially this curse that's been placed upon her. What do you guys think of this idea that we our forgiveness has to be offered? I think you're 100% right because it is that cultural mantra that says just forgive yourself, just forgive yourself. And people, it's like, you know, easier said than done. Prior forgiveness or prior love is, is really what fuels the, the ability to um, reach out an olive branch towards another person or even the desire to, to even want to do that. You know, if all you've ever known is scorekeeping and, uh, you know, um, judgment, then it's going to be very, very difficult for you to ever see that as a, even an option, much less a desire. Anyway, I think that Red Sonia thing sounds incredible. And, but one of the, uh, Jonathan, one of the examples I was going to give was um, from the end of Kingdom Come. Uh, you guys know Kingdom Come? The uh, yeah. Alex Ross, the beautiful. And, and what, why I mention it now is because it looks like on the surface like an injunction to for superman to just forgive himself now those aren't if those are listeners who aren't aware of the story it's this really it's kind of passed in the canon almost this beautifully painted other worlds or elseworld story of the future and um 
war, too many superheroes it be existing and uh, them kind of getting into a fight and this enormous villain, almost like a doomsday type villain like Magog, named Magog comes up and he needs to be stopped and, and people, all the superheroes, Batman and Superman kind of differ on how to do this. And um, meanwhile, mankind is frightened for their lives. And I, I can't really, I don't want to give it away what happens, but let's just say in the end, Superman has a reason to want to exact revenge on the human race for the way that they have taken matters into their own hands, when, of course, the human race is just sick of feeling powerless. And uh, what hap- this, is, this is where it gets interesting, because the entire, all the events are witnessed by um, Spectre, in his godlike character, his godlike position in the DC universe, but really at his most godlike. And the whole, st- but more than that, Spectre brings with him a minister, I think a Presbyterian pastor, who's modeled directly on Alex Ross's, the great cover artist, and his father is a, is a minister. And they're to bear witness to what happens, and at the key moment, it is they who've just been watching powerlessly, but commenting, sort of been, being like a Greek chorus. The pastor intervenes, and he's able to, at the key moment of uh, recompense. And you'll have to read it to find out what happens, because it, it, what's phrased as a forgive yourself thing is actually an intervention from the outside, uh, a stopping of time, in fact, upon Superman. And you'll have to read it to figure out what happens, but it's a very beautiful moment of forgiveness. Mm. Um, I mean, what's, what's really peculiar is that you have clergymen portrayed almost never in comic books unless they're like Alan Moore having yet another abusive priest, you know, in in like V Vendetta or something. Or they're trying to kill uh, the X-Men or something like that. Yeah, 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 God kills. But this is someone uh, who's an advocate for mercy. He looks exactly like Robert Capon, in fact. So I always think it's Robert Capon actually talking to Superman, and so I get that. <laughs> yeah. Does he start offering him recipes at some point in the in the book? I know. He's like, and by the way, if you really want to get a veal scallopini, here you go. <laughs> um, I have one other example, if you guys want to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, and it's one that I mentioned in relation to another podcast you guys did, but it was... Um, the, your Silver Surfer podcast. The Astro City, The Dark Ages, uh, Kurt Busiek and Brett Anderson have been doing Astro City for years now under various different publishing houses. It's just like an anthology series that follows a, a town full of superheroes. And it's, it's this kind of brilliant conceit where they get to see what it would be like to live in a town that, where it's occupied by superheroes and how that impacts the common man. Um, but how these superheroes are actually also citizens and human beings and how it all, it's this vast tapestry. So, and a lot of the stories are very sad and there's yet another great clergyman portrayal in comic books history of uh, the confessor who I have the, the figurine right here. I was trying to get that figurine. Uh-huh. I didn't even know that existed. Cool. In my office. The problem is it's the figure that they produced is of the confessor's protege who becomes the second confessor uh-huh. the original confessor is a priest a catholic priest who gets bitten by a vampire but then decides his entire life is going to be spent fighting a crime and he's got an enormous cross uh, emblazoned across his chest which is in fact self-flagellation because it's <laughs> right. it's hurting him but he it's such a, an incredible 
He's a vampire priest superhero. So he checks all the boxes that need to be checked, and he's sacrificial. But you'll have to read that one. The, the instance of forgiveness that I notice is more global, which is the silver agent in um, the Dark Ages storyline, which is a long storyline. I'm not sure the whole thing works completely. It's about two brothers, like a, a police, one who's a policeman, one who's a cop, black guys who kind of grow up in Astro City and their lives come into contact with all these different superheroes, but one that they keep coming into contact with. And in fact, one that's been uh, profiled since the very beginning of Astro City, which is a lot of issues actually at this point, is the Silver Agent, who's really the proxy for Captain America. And in the middle of the main town square, there's a picture of the Silver Agent. There's, there's Sorry, there's a statue, and I think that... I forget exactly what I think the caption says, like, we will never forget or something like yep, that. That's what it says. Is that it, Kyle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this is the silver agent is kind of all that's good about humanity. He really, but, but Busiek, who's an outspoken atheist, actually makes him into a Christ figure that's kind of convincing because he, he doesn't, it's not straight Christ figure. He gets, he's falsely accused. It, it's a commentary almost uh, that's become more prescient because it, uh, as we like live in the world of social media and the internet where mobs, you, you know, people are guilty till proven innocent and you can get these lynch mobs that really, um, really go after people without any evidence. It's a story of um, he's framed for murder. What happens is he's, he's he he decides to sort of capitulate, or it looks like it's it's him, but instead of fighting back, he um, kind of sac- he sacrifices himself in this very dramatic way. But what's so cool about it, and I guess I've just ruined it, but like many, <laughs> I think, but I think it's important to say that like many instances of grace and forgiveness, they tend to be that the main thing that happens. The like climax, it's, it yeah. It tends to be the climax. So it's hard to, I've found that, you know, for writing, for example, about television on Mockingbird, it's very difficult to write. People are like, you're always writing about the law, you're always writing about sin, but you don't talk about grace enough. And you're thinking, well, that's because we would spoil every show. Because the shows that actually do have it, I would never forget when one of our preachers at our church spoiled the fourth season of Friday Night Lights for everyone who hadn't seen it uh. because of because uh, those who have seen it knows that it ends in this substitutionary moment of extreme uh, uh, profundity. But this is this happens in The Silver Agent, and there's time travel involved, but the conceit is so cool because it allows him through time travel, even though he's decided to forgive the rabid culture that wants to kill him, that needs a sacrifice, uh, you know, that needs a uh, some sort of blood-atoning work. He's decided to go along with it, but through the genius of time travel, he's also able to kind of reappear throughout history to be present with people in their moment of deepest need. So it's like, it's almost like a resurrected uh, Holy Spirit kind of, um, he, he allows to, he, he remains involved in people's lives towards the, you know, for mm-hmm. their good. Uh, although, but none of which alters the once for all defeat of this life-threatening universe-threatening thing so i've just completely ruined uh dark ages for everyone but i think that um it's been out a long time yeah if you haven't read it by now (laughs) (laughs) it's still very rich and worth reading i think that astro city is doing oh and he's also at the very beginning of astro city and i promise to be quiet after this um he introduces what like a a uh a team of superheroes who are also street um proselytizers Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. 
and they end up being like not just charlatans. You know, they right. they actually believe in good and and mercy, and they also are sort of in your face. They're basically the. There's never been evangelical superheroes, at least in the mainstream secular universe. But here he does it, but he doesn't just um, make them into a joke. And I thought that that was really remarkable. It was one of those things when you read it, you're like, oh my goodness, uh, this has never been done. Like yeah. it, it makes you realize how rare it is. And so I, I salute, uh, I commend those those to you guys. Well, any other thoughts that you guys want to throw in before we um, before we close out the topic? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shut anybody down um, too soon and then have to beg for your forgiveness later. So. <laughs> Okay, well, we may not have anything else left to say, but you all probably do. Friends, you can find us on Facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. We are on Twitter, at God and Comics. You can follow us there and uh, tell us uh, various things that you won't forgive us for. We'd love to, we'd love to hear about that. But uh, for now, we are going to move on to our final segment as always, this or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? So let's start with uh, Father Matt. Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift? Oh, I'm going to have to say Taylor Swift. Yes, uh, she, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan, but she has a lot more substance than Justin Bieber. And I have I have a young cousin, my uh, my wife's cousin actually, uh Jordan. He is a huge Taylor Swift fan and he was always talking about her on like Twitter or whatever. And well she had this big party in DC and she invited him. And uh and he went to the party <laughs> And, uh, and and she saw him there, and she said, "Jordan, it's so great to meet you in person." And, and I mean, he has the pictures to prove it. Um, and you know, she she he sat at her table and was hanging out with her the whole time. I just thought that was just really cool of her to do that for a fan. Wow. Um, so you know, I'm not a huge fan of that kind of music, but I, I, you know, I, I like her. I think she's a pretty classy lady. So uh, yeah, Taylor Swift. And now she wrote an angry song about him. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Hey, you know what? I just I just actually found out today what um, what Justin Bieber fans are called. Did you know this? They call themselves Beliebers. Beliebers. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Beliebers. I know. I know. You're so right. have you had the fortune of discovering Reinhold Bieber yet? Reinhold Bieber. No. No. <laughs> Uh, that, sounds, that sounds ripe. That sounds ripe. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's on Twitter, and it's Reinhold, uh, it's Reinhold Niebuhr with the with the Bieber haircut, mm-hmm. and you know they they have crazy <laughs> quotes or whatever. This, this sounds a lot like uh, Kim Kirka Kardashian. Yes, which is it's another probably, one of my favorite Twitter feeds. <laughs> <laughs> probably of the same uh, same or Augustine uh, of hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, God help you if you if you cross the believers online. By the way, you're gonna. Oh really? You're gonna pay for it. There's no forgiveness. That's right. <laughs> believers and Calvinists. That's the two <laughs> groups. Um, <laughs> come come and get me, haters. Come and get me, David. This one is for you. I really enjoyed the uh, in-depth piece you wrote not too too long ago about Axl Rose. And so I want to give you the world's most ridiculous musical choice, Guns N' Roses or the Beach Boys. 
those are both, you know, uh, very, very near to my heart. Um, I'm going to see Guns N' Roses, uh, the reunited, quote-unquote, reunited Guns N' Roses at uh, on the 26th of June as my birthday present. So I don't want them to... Uh, I don't want them to disappear before then. So I right. guess... And they listen to the show, so... Yeah, I know, I know. Slash is a big fan. I would say right now, because... For that reason, because there's the more possibility of new music coming from the Gunners, I would have to say Guns N' Roses. But if 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 you ask me in a couple months, I'll probably say the opposite, because I, I'm, I'm a disciple in the Church of Wilson. Father Kyle... Fiction or nonfiction? I probably would say nonfiction, given that most of my interests outside of theology tend in that direction, simply a la comic books and uh, and Star Wars novels and Indiana Jones novels, <laughs> things of that nature. So um, we may need to start with the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Um, <laughs> Did I say it backwards? You, you say, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. I always do that. Well, I thought at first you were calling theology fiction, which I thought was interesting. Are you but... telling me Star Wars is know? not true? Yes, that's right. Star Wars is not true. <laughs> yes, it's not true. Except for it Jar Jar It was in a galaxy far, far away. It's... That's right. And it that's was a long, long time ago. Yeah. So... Uh, Did somebody fair. tell you that I've always messed those up my whole life? No, but like that's good to know. That's good to yeah. know. By the way, uh, best version of Star Wars ever I discovered recently was uh, Phineas and Ferb. So I'm just going to throw that out there <laughs> for those of you who have children. Ooh, um, good to know. Father Matt. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. or Liam Neeson? I'm going to have to say uh, Robert Downey Jr. because uh, I think he, the, the films that he's making recently as, as Iron Man have been a lot of fun. You guys ever seen that clip of where he's advocating for um, Mel Gibson yes. to be given, yeah. give him an award? I mean, this is, we're talking about forgiveness today. That was um, that was powerful, but also completely ineffective. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although now here here would be my pitch for Liam Neeson. There was a show I can't remember um, uh, what it was called now. A couple of years ago on HBO. Uh, Ricky Gervais and his uh, uh, writing partner produced it. Um, Extras? No, it was um, it was a, a, a idiot a, abroad. It or? was a a fictional reality show that followed around the actor Warwick Davis, the yeah, little person oh, Warwick yeah. Davis. And uh, there's a scene where Warwick actually goes to see um, Gervais, and I wish I could remember the name of uh, the the guy who's who uh, works with him. But he goes to see those guys. And while he's there, Liam Neeson shows up and tells them that he wants to break into doing basically bit characters and, uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> short that. fictional scenes and so forth. And he, um, it's, he, but he, of course he plays them epically straight and, and, uh, and, and depressing and it's very, very funny. It's, it's got some blue content, uh, just to, just to warn you some, uh, not safe for work content, but. Uh, but I'll, if I can find it, I'll put a link up on the show page to that one because that that is pretty much oh, the and, most uh, hilarious thing ever. Liam Neeson, his cameo as God in Rev was pretty powerful. I thought. Oh, that's a great series. Uh, David, this one is for you. Punk rock or grunge? 
At this point in my life, I'd choose grunge. Father Kyle, a Lego 57 Chevy or an actual 57 Chevy? <laughs> well, I think I'll go with the actual 57 Chevy. Just really? because I could drive that somewhere and do something with that other than just look at it. And besides that, my daughter would probably destroy the Lego 57 Chevy. What, what if, let me just change this for a second, what if you had the power to become like a Lego person and then you could uh, go down and drive the Lego 57 Chevy? Well, then I'll definitely do that, but only if Lego Batman joins me. There you go. <laughs> Father uh, Matt, being covered in butter and shot out of a cannon or... Rue McClanahan from the Golden Girls. <laughs> um, so wait, okay, wait. Which one is Rue McClanahan with Blanche? Blanche. That was Blanche. Yeah. Well, being covered in butter and shot out of a cannon doesn't seem all that pleasant. And uh, as long as we're just you know having tea or something, Rue McClanahan. <laughs> Father Kyle, planes or trains? I'll go with trains. I don't particularly care for flying, and uh, I don't remember many times that I've actually enjoyed doing that, but I have hopped several trains, and I yeah. do enjoy that. Were you a hobo at the time? And I was. Did you have a I little was. stick with like all of That's your worldly right. possessions on the end of it tied up in a scarf? That's right. Yeah. No, I had a friend, I had a friend who was into train hopping, and uh, he and I did it a few times, of course, when the train slowed down I enough see. to make it pleasurable. Is that a Title IV violation? I'm not sure. Maybe we'll to, it is. I'll we'll have to look good. into that. Um, or a statute of limitations issue, maybe we should find out. <laughs> All right. David, this one is for you. Martin Luther or Robert Capon? Oh. <laughs> I should say Father Kyle provided me with this one, so. Well, I don't think there'd be much of a... Certainly without Luther, there wouldn't be much Capon. Um, but... I, I, I we're, Mockingbird's getting ready to republish a bunch of Robert Capon's books, which is a really exciting thing for us. And I've gotten to know his widow, and um, so I'd have to go with Capon just from uh, just from a, a gut reaction. However, Luther is is um, you know my great hero. So I don't. Gosh, I just, you answered it well. I hate you for asking that question. <laughs> I feel like um, Capon would be... I would rather have dinner with Capon than Luther. Oh, definitely. Because um, I feel like Luther would just, you know, yell at me in German, and I wouldn't know what to do. So. <laughs> I should show you guys... Some, one of his people that... Uh, one of his friends sent me the Life Magazine profile they did of Robert Capon in the 70s out in East Hampton, where he was, and he just looks like... He's wearing his clericals and, like, everything, and he just... He's just the coolest looking uh, priest you've ever seen. And you kind of think <laughs> everyone should just hang it up because this guy, you know, his author picture has this like, he's got a clerical shirt sort of open with a big crucifix and he's holding a, a cigar and he's got his hand tucked into his, <laughs> hand, hand tucked into his belt and you get the sense he's maybe like said, you know, he's morning prayer, like and done a mass that day and is now just having a bourbon and, and, and about to cook himself an amazing meal. And he just... <laughs> He clearly had, he had something figured out there that I don't think we, we need to bring a little bit more sex appeal back into the Christian uh, to the Episcopal. <laughs> yes, that is what we're lacking: sex appeal. <laughs> yeah. What did 
I just say? <laughs> today, you know, he got, he got, uh, someone was laughing because he got, he got kind of sent to the wall in Game of Thrones terms after he, you know, he, his, his marriage fell apart and he was at a, uh, he was the head of a seminary and, um, you know, he got, he got sent out to, you know, East Hampton at the long end of, the far end of Long Island in the winter. And so to my mind, he like was, he had to go become like, um, you know, the night's watch sort of, but then he was writing all these books and, and someone was saying, well, you know, today he, he probably would have been promoted, but you know, it, uh, lived in the wrong era. And because he was so isolated, then he wrote these incredible books. So just like Jon Snow, he, he is really what we're talking about. David, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. We've really enjoyed uh, having you today. Do you want to um, plug anything or let people know where they can, can find some stuff? Uh, yeah, well, our Mockingbird's website is mbird.com, and we have, we have a web podcast called The Mockingcast. But um, mainly I'm just grateful for you guys and for what you're doing, and I think um, this is a wonderful wonderful uh recording and group and it makes me very encouraged about um the future of the episcopal church uh just in general as well as the future of the comic reading population <laughs> well thank you for having me seriously it was an honor i really love this this is it might i can't talk to my wife about this kind of stuff in <laughs> fact the reason i keep looking over here is because all of my comics have been exiled to my office so I, I can have like two or three, you know, trade paperbacks. I think I've got Miracle Man right now. I'm going to read the Neil Gaiman one uh, on my side table at home. But everything else is like I've got this big like secretary that's where my comic books live. She just was like, I just can't have that stuff staring at me anymore. <laughs> See, my, my wife was so happy when I got back into comic books that I had something to talk about besides really obscure theology that she just <laughs> celebrated it. But... Um, well, thank anyway. you guys for having me. Thank you. It's been you. been great. Been great having you. Um, this is going to do it for us today on God and Comics. We hope you like the program. We're going to link to some of the rad stuff that we talked about today on our show page, which is at GodandComics.com. So please do go by and check it out. You can also listen to the show again there. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you are on iTunes... We would love it if you would give a rating or a review. It helps other people to find the program. Our theme music, which you are uh, hopefully jumping up and down to as if you were a believer right now, is by the one, the only, Father Paul Belieber Wheatley. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. And we'll see you.